0: Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1st Peter, chapter 2. I will be reading 1st Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. 1st Peter 2, 4 through 6. As you come to Him... I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So right now, ask yourself, how you are doing, how you have done in the last seven days or the last month in purposefully coming to Jesus. Whether you call that quiet time, but it's that purposeful, desperate, Coming over the Word, as we saw last week, prayerfully, getting away from children, in work, in studying, and to be ministered to by the risen Lord Jesus through the Spirit in the Word. For the sake of your soul. If, as you muse over that, hmm, you say, well, my life's really busy. I've got babies. I'm a housewife. I work 70 hours a week. I've got to bring home the money. I'm a homeschooler. And by that time, I'm exhausted. So my time with the Lord is and has been very rare. You judge. I'm one of us. I think those answers, and let me me be real clear, putting, changing the diapers before Christ. I think That is a demonic deception. And that ultimately, you and I cannot afford, for our soul's sake, for our marriage's sake, for our parenting's sake, for our job's sake, for our business' sake, we cannot afford to not put Jesus first in this way. Let's pray. Father, I beg that for the rest of our time here this morning, what I am doing now will be as Marcelo prayed, as a priest, offering through preaching worship. And I beg that the people here for the next 55 minutes, we'll be as priests, not spectators, priests, actively worshiping over the Word. So help me to that end, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's get an overview of the text that we're looking at this morning. I'm only going to deal with verses 4 and 5 as we work through 1 Peter. But I want you to see in that bird's eye view that verses 4 through 10 are logically one big unit which is a reason or a support for what we saw last week in verses 1 to 3. The command... Crave or desire, well I don't desire, I know, do it, desire the experience of the Lord's personal kindness to you over and in and through the milk of the word of God. See, verse 4 is directly connected to verse 3. He's saying, you should crave, you should desire to taste the kindness of the Lord to you in the Word. Why? Because of verse 4. Because of verses 4 and 5. Because in our coming to Him this way, God is doing something. He is doing the wonderful work that he lays out in verses 4 and 5. See, the logic goes like this. Come to him. Feed upon him. Not merely, I did my Bible reading. Press in until you get breakthrough for your soul. Does anyone know what that experience is? If you're a believer, you know what it is, and you know what it is not to have that. When you do that, as you are doing that, the logic is in that coming and coming and coming. You do it so that you are being built into, according to this text, living stones who are fashioned together as God's dwelling place on earth. So that, You will be a holy priesthood. Why that? For the main goal of this text. So that you can offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to Him. That's mind-boggling. We so easily flow over that. He's saying... You can walk into the presence of God if you're one of these priests and offer sacrifices and not be burned up. That is amazing. So let's look at the text, verses 4 to 5 slowly, and watch the progression that the Holy Spirit has Peter lay out. Notice first there, at the beginning of verse 4, Jesus is called a living stone. Quote, As you come to Him, a living stone. Now, Peter's getting that imagery from the Old Testament prophecies that he's going to quote right here. For instance, verse 6. He quotes Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Then, in verse 7, he quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so that's where he's getting his, his imagery here. And, and stones, remember Peter's writing in A.D. 64. The temple in Jerusalem is still standing and the priests are still working. He's saying believers, Gentiles mainly, and even some Jews who are believers, you are living stones, not inanimate objects like the ones in Jerusalem. and Christ is that foundational plumb bomb upon which all the rest of the stones are lined up to build the temple. He is that living cornerstone far superior to that temple in. Jerusalem. Secondly, notice that he comments about Jesus as the living stone by saying, quote, This Jesus is the one who has been rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and valuable, or precious. So those three words, chosen, precious and rejected he's getting them straight from these Old Testament prophecies and what he's doing he is contrasting the world's perception of Jesus up against God's perception of Jesus. He is essentially saying Christians here's the reality in your clinging to and embracing and coming to Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. You are siding with God. Yet that will mean being rejected generally by the culture, by the world, by people. But you're being chosen, as he started off the letter, Far outweighs the vapor of a life of rejection with Jesus. And those of you who know this letter of 1 Peter, that is one of the main themes of this letter. Aliens suffering in this brief vapor of a life. Then thirdly, notice the result of coming to him is what? It's that you are being Built into living stones for the use of becoming one spiritual building. Verse 4 again. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. As you come to Him, this is what's happening. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So our daily desperate craving and partaking and eating and coming to fellowship and commune with Christ, we are being shaped into many plural living stones so that those many plural living stones would be fashioned together, and make one singular spiritual house. Christ is the builder. He builds many individuals into one spiritual house where the Spirit of God on earth now dwells. So let's get the picture that he's painting. He says, God is the one building the temple. Not like Solomon, not like all the stones are to be chiseled and smoothed out outside Jerusalem in a quarry, then brought in. Don't bang in in the temple site. No. God Himself is building, and He starts the way you're supposed to start back then. With the plumb bob stone, the corner stone, the one that you got to get dead right or everything's going to be off. And he, from the foundation of the world, chose his son, Jesus, to be that stone. And he was rejected. They crucified him. But, he says, him having been chosen nonetheless, he is the living stone. He raised him from the dead. He's infinitely valuable or precious. He is the cornerstone by which he's building a temple. He says that's why he does it. Why did he do this with Christ? In order that he would gather people. He would gather many individuals. He would gather for himself a people whom he would make alive into living stones and fashion them together for the temple or dwelling place of God on earth. That's the imagery. That's the picture that Peter is painting. And then he goes on, why? Why this? Next. It's for the purpose that that spiritual house where God's presence dwells, that those people would be a holy priesthood. He's saying we are not merely passive rocks, part of the temple in which God dwells, but we are to be active participants Daily in the worship of God as priests. Every believer. You don't have to be born in the tribe of Levi and of Aaron. Every priest. You don't have to be a male. Women. Every believer who comes to Jesus savingly is part of that holy priesthood y- yes there is structure in the church new testament's clear about that there are shepherds pastors there's overseers and elders there's structure but the priest he's talking about those aren't priests on behalf of other people every believer is a priest meaning every believer has Direct access to Christ, to God, the Father. See, in the Old Testament, priests, get the what do they do? On behalf of the people, they have the job of slaughtering, killing animals. Yes, there's non-animal sacrifices too. But as they do with these animal sacrifices, they offer them up as laid out in the books of Moses. And now we see in this text, the temple in which they do that is replaced by living people. The atoning altar there in Jerusalem, when he's writing this, has been replaced by Christ and His blood. And the Old Testament priests have been replaced by you. And by me. The goal now, okay? Now we're priests. This, this is flow. Why? Here it is. So that we, as priests, because only priests are allowed to do the offering, so that we, as priests, may offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, oh, don't flow over this. That are. Acceptable. He, he receives them. That's mind-boggling. No, don't miss it. Through Jesus Christ. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house in order to be a holy priesthood, in order to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Everything hangs on Jesus Christ. You have to have all of this. You can't have a piece of this or it doesn't work. If you do not come to Jesus then you don't have life. You are not a living stone. And thus you are not being built into a spiritual house or dwelling place for God. Which means we're not part of the holy priesthood. Which means you will not be able to offer acceptable sacrifices to God. The source of... And the foundation of everything is Jesus. In order to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Just just think about it right now, today. All over the world, there are people who believe that there is a God. Romans 1 makes it clear that deep down, even atheists know it. But they believe there is a God. But they do not truly know how to do anything that it would be acceptable to Him. They may be very religious. They may do daily and weekly rituals, religious Disciplines, they may be still offering animal sacrifices and vows. And it's all in vain because they are acceptable only through Jesus Christ. But his point now is this. Remember the flow from last week. But you have tasted You have tasted the kindness of the Lord Jesus to you in your coming. And therefore, we have the honor of being accepted by Him. And thus, what we do in spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to Him. That's the text, what it says to us. Now, for the rest of our time, let's just try to unpack, okay, what does that mean? Okay, let's be priests. Let's offer spiritual sacrifices. What what, what does that look like? How do we go about this in real diaper-changing life? Let's just stick with the text and just work backwards. The end goal is spiritual sacrifices, and then we just work and see the flow and think about it for our lives on how Peter lays it out. First, he says, you are offering spiritual sacrifices. What are they? I think there are numbers of things. Just let me give you a few texts. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Notice his language. Present your bodies a living sacrifice is the language that's holy hear, hear the word and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship so at least it's this you live in a body do you ever go anywhere without your body whatever you're doing in your body that's what you're supposed to be doing is worshiping God in it with it or remember as the paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 whatever you do what in other words whether you eat whether you drink whether you lawyer or doctor or nurse or homeschool or paint houses or build houses or buy and sell, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, what is it? It's all that stuff that you can possibly do. You break it down, one of those things is clear that we are to do. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15, he says, listen to the language, through Jesus let us continually, here's the language, offer. That's Old Testament sacrificial language. Give offerings. Offer up a sacrifice. Not a bull. But a sacrifice of praise to God. What do you mean? That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His Name Spiritual sacrifices are including the praises that spring out of our heart's delight in Him. See, lips, what you say, gives evidence of what's going on in our heart. That is one really important reason why we in every church I've ever known, plans a musical aspect of Sunday morning to help us get here. And I've asked worship leaders in the past, and look, I'm not going to say, ooh, this happens in every church, but these were other churches, okay? And I've asked them about this. What is it like Because you're looking out here, if you have, once in a while you have your eyes open as a worship leader, you look out here at people. And I've been stunned to hear, boy, it was really hard this morning, because 50% of the people look like they're thinking about the Super Bowl today. Or the paint drying. And this is, I know, it's kind of funny, but then again, it's not. To come. On Sunday morning, you say, remember last week, but I don't feel close to God. I don't have desire to worship. Right. And God says to us, crave. Music is a gift to help us get there. But as we crave, you crave doing it. It is amazing how practice gives feelings in everything. You don't believe me? You haven't kissed your wife in a while? Practice it. It may produce what you think i got to have first in order to kiss her. Or that's probably about, okay, just to say thank you. Why do we parents have to drill into our children? Say thank you. A parent, in my mind, is stupid who says, well, if they don't really mean thank you, they shouldn't say it. Oh, that's stupid parenting. The way you're going to get them to feel it is do it. So when songs are starting to be sung, if it helps you to close your eyes because you're too distracted, do it. The heart, he's saying, cannot help but praise, means say, sing, sing. Things that are true about Christ, God, salvation for you. Like, my goodness, thank you. And so also these spiritual offerings, sacrifices, they are loving acts towards other people. In all kinds of ways. Watch what Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 18. And now what he's responding to is that the Philippians, that church, had raised a lot of money to have sent to Paul for his missions trips. It's got to be supported. And he says in response to them this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now watch what he calls it. They are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so, also, our sacrifices, they are loving that way. They are just the things and the deeds we do. Not animals, but meeting the needs of another person. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, puts it this way Do not neglect to do good. Think about it. Here's a command Joe, do not neglect. To do good and to share what you have. Now he says, why? Because such sacrifices. He doesn't mean sacrifice. Oh, I I gave up. He means worship pictured in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple which you now do as believers as spiritual daily sacrifice, he means they are sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And so what he is saying here about these spiritual acceptable sacrifices is the deeds we do, the things we say and speak, the songs we sing are all spiritual sacrifices when they are the expression of our love for and joy in Jesus. What we do, act, you can see it, we can see each other do it. That's essential. But the motivation behind what we do is just as essential. That's why just singing here on Sunday morning does not necessarily mean you are worshipping. It doesn't mean necessarily that I am worshipping because my mouth is following the lyrics. It is worship when my movement is toward God, whether I Feel this is easy right now. I really feel thankful. I really feel adoration. I really feel filled, or I feel nothing, and I feel yucky about it. Let's move. Both of those are true, genuine worship. See, that second one is just obeying First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, that we saw last week. You're not hungry? Get hungry. Okay, God. You're serving up right now as we sing Amazing Grace. I mean, see, you know it's 9-11, right? Do you know how many non-Christian people sang Amazing Grace in ballparks after 9-11? Does that mean they're worshiping? And they are fantastic lyrics. Not at all. And they're not acceptable. Because they're not priests who are singing it. Remember, Jesus said it this way. This people honors me with their lips. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And so, those are spiritual sacrifices. Everything we do in our body, in our mouth, our lips, our singing, our worship, our giving, our serving, doing good to others. Now, move up the text. Notice the flow. Peter says very clearly who are these people that can actually give acceptable offerings? They are priests. If you're not a priest, you can't do it. Not clergy. But again, all believers. He's saying individual human beings coming to Christ are being fashioned as living stones for the purpose of being a holy priesthood. Every Christian has direct access through Jesus alone to God. This is one of the great doctrines that was revived, especially by Martin Luther, in the 16th century Protestant reforming of the church called the priesthood of all believers because it was lost. There were so many teachings and doctrines of church and of course the Roman church even calls them priests, mediators. You have one mediator between God and man and that is the man, Christ Jesus. And spiritual sacrifices, according to this text, thus are acceptable from what? A priesthood. Why? Because that priesthood are those people who are a corporate dwelling of God Himself. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house that's tabernacle and temple language in the Old Testament, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood in order that you would offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And this is not peripheral. Listen for a moment to the way the Apostle Paul says essentially the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes starting with verse 19, Christians, specifically here, Gentile Christians, you are fellow citizens with believing Jews. You are fellow citizens with the saints and you are members of the household of God which is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Still have them right here. It's built on the foundation. I'm sorry, but it's not those who are calling themselves apostles today in Charisma Magazine. That is not what he's referring to. You are being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself, hear his language, being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being fitted or joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, Jesus, you also, is this you? Are you one of these yet? You also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So, biblically, you can see this in 1 Corinthians, yes, it's true that in a sense, each individual living stone, in one sense, is a temple, or body is a temple. In another, I would say even, more profound sense that is clear in the New Testament there's only one temple not many made out of the many stones as, as Paul just said being fitted together God did not set the cornerstone to be rejected and crucified in order to create out of sinful, undeserving wretches like us living stones, so that those living stones can remain out in the middle of the desert by themselves. It's not why he did it. He did it so that he would be taking those stones and fashioning them together with other stones and building this gorgeous, massive edifice on earth called the temple or the dwelling place of God. And I think, I hope most of us believers know that there is more of God, more of a profundity and the depth of experience of God by the Spirit In union with, in commitment with, the corporate body of Christ. This is what he's talking about here. Let me just put a little parenthesis. I am making an emphasis on our quiet times alone. Because it's so important. And You want to be more of a blessing when you get together in a home group or just have a cup of coffee or talk to someone on a phone who needs prayer? The more that we fill ourselves up, the more we'll be able to overflow. But Peter, when he's writing this, these people did not have their own Bibles. Too expensive. They didn't all go home with one. We're so blessed. So much of this in the context is dependent upon church structure, meetings, Public readings. This church has numbers of locations where they're meeting and, and, and they've saved up enough and paid enough to have different copies and, and the elders are reading on end Scripture and then expounding and teaching. This is the desiring and the craving of the Word of God for them. And that only happens here in this context in community. It's amazing how so many of us evangelical Christians, and a lot of it just because of bad teaching, become church attenders for years and never commit. Which Membership? I don't need that. Because that means accountability that's even more clear. It's the same reason why the guy won't marry the woman as long as she's willing to shack up with. It's just a piece of paper, is the argument. It's just, just a covenant you sign. I got that in my heart. Well, if you got it in your heart, why don't you make a big deal about doing it? Why don't you do it? This is what he's talking about. This is what he's building. This is what God purposed and planned from the foundation of the world in choosing Jesus. The structure, I'm going to do it. It's right in the text, it's so clear. As living stones, in English and in Greek, it's plural, are being fashioned, in English and in Greek, it's singular, into a spiritual house. And all of Peter's metaphorical language Let's just think about this now. All of it is dependent upon, understanding it is to know the Old Testament. That's what he's doing. So let's just remember, Moses delivers the children of Israel out of slavery and the glory, the presence of God is manifested with that people in the desert. Cloud by day, fire by night. And he instructs them how to make a house for him, the tabernacle. Very, every minute detail, what it looks like, how big it is, and all the furniture and utensils in it. And then it's finished, and the glory of the Lord fills that tabernacle. And then a few hundred years later, in the 900s BC, he has Solomon make a permanent so-called dwelling in Jerusalem. The temple. And it is magnificently structured. It is architecturally gorgeous. And then on dedication day, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. A few hundred years later, the prophet Ezekiel on behalf of God says, the glory of the Lord departed the temple. This is right before God's fulfillment of the promise to banish His chosen people into exile and to have the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple destroyed by the Babylonians because of their, the people's sin. And then, a little bit less than a hundred years later, Ezra and Nehemiah are allowed to matriculate back and, and, and lead some of the Jews that were there and bring some with them into the rebuilding of a much lesser temple. And then the prophecy comes. And God says, the latter glory Of this temple. Here. Is going to be far greater. Than the glory. Of Solomon's temple. And you keep reading. In the Hebrew scripture. And it never. Happens. That glory never fills the temple. At the close of the Old Testament. Scripture around 430 B.C. The prophecy comes through Malachi in chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And God is silent. A decade passed, nothing. 50 years, nothing. A hundred years doesn't happen. 200, 300, 400. Approximately 425 years later, one day, Joseph and Mary walk into the temple with an eight-day-old baby boy. And Simeon... And Anna, born-again people, witness it and testify by the Spirit to what is happening. Jesus is the greater glory of that former temple. And when He grew up, some 32, 3, 4, 5 years later, He stood looking down at the temple and prophesied, It's destruction. Another time he stood in the temple. And he said. Destroy this temple. And in three days I'll raise it up. And of course he was referring to the temple. Of his body. And John. Son of Zebedee. Was there. And 40 years later or so, when he penned his gospel, he opened up that gospel with these words. And the word, that eternal word, became flesh and literally tabernacled among us. Jesus, after his resurrection, before His ascension, said to the apostles, and thus 120, wait. Wait in Jerusalem until the glory of the Lord, that is the Holy Spirit, fills the temple. That means, you believers. Peter's saying, each and every believer Even after the day of Pentecost, 34 years later, some of these people just became Christians in the last 12 months. He says, do you get it? In your coming to Jesus, you are a living stone. He is filling with His glory, His presence on earth, the temple, which is the church. And one day when He comes back, His glory will fill the entire new heavens and earth, which will be His temple. And so Peter writes, he says, the whole goal of this passage is that we are being built. Gosh, I just want to stay there. Do we believe it? Do we care? Do we wake up on Monday morning thinking this way? We're being built and fashioned into the House of God's magnificent, merciful presence. In order to be priests. So that we can offer spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ. And it is verse 4 that tells us how that happened. So we say, yeah, I want that. I want to experience what he's saying here. And I love the word experience. I love objective truth. I love that the gospel is true whether you believe it or not. But it would be horrific for me not to experience the truth of the gospel. If we say, I want this, I want to experience this more, how do I do it? The answer is in verse 4, coming to Jesus. Quote, hear it, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, as you come to Him, you yourselves, as you come, you yourselves, as you come, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood in order to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. The text says our coming is the way we are being built. And the coming that he's talking about is not conversion. At this point in the letter, conversion is a given. Verse 3, chapter 1, and I know it's taken three months to get to this point, but if we went right back to the beginning of the letter right now and I started reading, take us three minutes to get to this point. That's the given. Born again by the Spirit, you're in Christ. The coming here is a present tense verb form which in Greek carries with it the continuous practice of ongoing action it refers to our daily hourly ongoing drawing near to Christ is the oxygen of our life see why? because the key to understand this coming of verse 4 Flows out of verse three. Verse four, Our approaching, are coming to him. Okay, who's the him? The him is the him of verse three, whose kindness. Okay, is it? Have you? Whose kindness? You have tasted. See, verse 3 is the foundation to understand the coming. Verse 3 is actually, I don't want to confuse you with all this, but last week's sermon, it is the foundation of the command in verse 2. And it's the foundation of verse 4. See, the flow, it goes like this. If we bring both weeks together. Here's verse 3. Because you have tasted, this to you personally experienced, the goodness or the kindness of the Lord through the Word of God. Because of that, therefore, verse 2, crave the milk of the Word all the more. And this week. Same thing. Because you have tasted, haven't you personally experienced the goodness and the kindness of Jesus to you in the Word of God? Therefore, verse 4 keep on coming to Him. That's what He's saying. The coming to Christ, it is. The longing, the craving, the working at, causing ourselves, helping, praying, God, make me desire your word. Help my eyes to see the beauty in it so that I'm not bored. The answer to being bored in your picking up the Bible as a Christian and reading it is not, I'm bored so I won't do it. The answer is that we would plead with God, Help my heart. And keep pleading. If it takes you 33 and a half days of picking up the Bible and still feeling dry, it may be the 34th day God's mercy shows up. It is the longing for. And thus, the coming, thus, planning to eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It's the craving, therefore, coming to the pure milk of the Word. As we saw last week, for the goal of experiencing personally the fellowship, the goodness, the kindness that you're so desperate for because of what is in your life today. And so, here's the rub of it all. If, if we, as individual stones, as living stones, which God is using to build that one big edifice, temple on earth, His bride, the body, the church, in order that we be priests, if we are to be that priesthood that offers up acceptable works Acceptable loving actions, acceptable songs, acceptable prayer, acceptable Bible reading, acceptable anything we do, acceptable sacrifices through Jesus Christ, then this text is crystal clear. We must be those who are doing verse 4. That's the text. Every day. We must prayerfully vigilantly, planfully, desperately draw near to Christ through the words of this book so that we can come by the work of the Spirit in the book to our hearts, come to taste again and again and to see that He is good. And so, again right now, how are you doing how is this word that we have read and heard this morning how is that operating in your life again if you realize i haven't come to the one my soul's desperate need nearly Enough because of just fill it in. Fill it in with the most significant obligations we all have babies, children, working, making money so I can pay bills, and go on and on. If, yes, I know I'm so dry, I haven't really communed with God, then Jesus is not first in our life right now. To habitually, this speaks to all of us, to habitually not obey First Peter chapter one. Excuse me, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 means, evidences, Jesus is not first place in our life. Look, let's just be really honest. If you're an employee, it is mind-boggling if we have a boss who expects us actually to be to work on time. It is, isn't it amazing how we make it? The only reason you and I do in life, how all life is, is prioritizing, period. And when we don't make it, it means Joe, that's a sign of your hardness and your sin, and he's not first. There's no other logical way around it. But you don't know, I don't know, I got all these obligations and. Okay, then here's another one. Let's do it this way. You're struggling with the time? Sit down with a pen and a pad for two weeks. Figure out how much TV you watch. And what you watch. And trust me, I'm not an anti-TV guy. I think there is a time for most of us to say, I just want to jail." And I need to gel for 30 minutes on a stupid sitcom. But how much? Because you all know, you go to a little bit further than 30 or an hour, you go further than that, it's not gelling anymore now. It's just sapping the life out of you. Or, what time do you get to bed at night? And what do you do late at night? That you get to bed so late that it becomes almost impossible to wake up. And to have time with the Lord before all the other obligations that you do have for the rest of the day. I I know, I'm a night prayer. Okay, great, but flip everything around. We all constantly have to ask, where am I with this text? And we're desperate to believe that the reason He commands us To crave is for our good. And look, if any of us have been in here, I'm one of those. You've been a Christian, and you've been a Christian long enough, you know the difference between seasons of your life of disciplined getting away in order to come to Christ over the Word and the fruit of it in your life. We all know that. And yes, it's our experience. But then why is it so hard again? Go back to those experiences and believe the Word. So, Peter, at the beginning of chapter 2, he's taking that Old Testament command. Taste! See that he's good. Jesus stood one day And got really radical. And he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. We're going to be passing out the bread and the blood in a minute. We're going to hold that. We're going to partake as the one temple. And the reformers 500 years ago and I just think they're so dead right. Thought communion should never be happening apart from the word being preached, being read. And so, what we're doing this morning, as he says, taste, see, if you tasted? We are taking this glorious ordinance of the church in obedience to Christ metaphorically we're saying help me as we're ingesting Jesus I want more of you help me partake and taste of you for my soul more this week more this month as we're begging as a community for a deeper grace a deeper power upon us as a people Father, do this. I I feel it's so easy to relate to all of us here as a broken, sinful person who does not drink from the well of eternal life nearly, nearly as much as I really am desperate to. Oh, continue to work on each and every soul in this room as we are receiving the word of life, as we're receiving the bread of life, the blood that purchased us. Continue to work in these next ten minutes strongly to the glory of your Son and to the spiritual hunger of our souls. Amen.